Hi, this is Jay Holtham, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. I want to welcome new primary sponsor, the Blue Cat Screenplay Competition. Blue Cat is now open to submissions for the 2023 competition. The Blue Cat Screenplay Competition has been discovering and developing new storytellers for over 25 years to help new writers get a foothold in the industry. When you submit to Blue Cat, you're guaranteed a thorough read of your script with a written analysis of your submission at no extra fee. BlueCat believes in supporting writers with more than just an opportunity at the cash prizes, but with feedback to guide each entrant to grow and develop. BlueCat winners and finalists often make valuable connections in the industry, which help them begin professional careers. In addition, the five cash prizes total $18,500 this year. Send in your feature screenplay, TV pilot, or short film script when you're ready. The competition's deadline is October 30th, but if you miss it, you can still catch the late deadline on December 11th. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 135 for Friday, November 18th, 2022. Well, today I'm so excited to bring you an interview with someone who is not only a playwright, not only a comic book writer, not only a blogger, but a well-established um, TV writer. He's written on shows like Cloak & Dagger, Jessica Jones, Supergirl, The Handmaid's Tale, lots of shows you've heard of. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. I'm doing really great. Thanks for the kind and generous introduction. Uh, Very cool. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so talk about your backstory. Um, where did you grow up, go to college, and when did mm -hmm. you know you wanted to be a writer, and how did that manifest? Uh, so I'm from New York originally, a lifelong New Yorker, uh, and writing, or at least a life in the arts, was a little bit of a family business mm -hmm. uh, as such. Uh, my family's kind of a multicultural royal Tenenbaums. Uh, so my mother was a poet and a teacher. Uh, my stepmother was a classical flautist uh, oh, wow. and a teacher. My dad was an x-ray technician. Um, I have artists, musicians, film directors, dancers, all sorts of people in my family. So a life in the arts uh, uh, was pretty much de rigueur. It was just sort of mm -hmm. the path was laid out for me. So I was writing from the time I was eight or so, um, wow. short stories and some poetry and this and that. Um, while at the same time, I was doing theater. I was acting in like high school plays just as sort of a hobby. Uh, it was never anything that I s considered seriously pursu pursuing. Uh, at theater uh, as an actor. Uh, but when I got to college, uh, I went to college in upstate New York, I realized all of my friends were in the theater department uh, while I was in the English department. And if I uh -huh. switched over to writing plays, I could hang out with my friends all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I did. I started writing plays about halfway through my college career, uh, wrote a bunch of short plays and did a lot of black box theater, uh, undergrad theater, and then moved to New York and pursued playwriting. I uh, got my MFA from the Actor Studio Drama School uh, and spent the next decade, really, living in New York, working in theaters uh, as a, like a program person, uh, an artistic producer, an administrator, uh, as well as writing plays, as many plays as I could. Um, they were not particularly loved uh, uh -huh. or produced. Um, as you can imagine, writing in New York, uh, in New York theater is a very, very competitive and mm. difficult, uh, uh, field. 
uh, to be in. Um, and eventually, you know, uh, after about 10 years, I was like, I need a break. I need a break mm -hmm. from New York. I need a break from theater. Um, this was, you know, the mid 2010s, early 2010s. So just after the 2008 strike, uh, mm -hmm. streaming was a big thing. Uh, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot going on, and a lot of playwrights were moving out. So I said, "All right, I'm gonna do that," and packed up my stuff and moved mm -hmm. to L.A. Wow! And so, um, at what point did comic books enter? Was that after TV? Before TV? Before TV, or at the same time? I was always mm -hmm. a comic book person. I've always been a science fiction geek. I was raised basically on Star Trek, Star Wars, and Marvel comics. Um, and that was a thing that I did. And of course, you know, theater tends to not be about that. There's much mm. more of it now than there was when I was younger. Um, there are some great, great playwrights who do genre theater. Uh, but at the time, there, there wasn't a lot of space for that. So I, I didn't do a lot of it, but I still read and watched a ton of TV, mm. read, a, read scripts, read film scripts, saw a lot of movies. And it all sort of filtered in there in one way or another, um, mm -hmm. while also always reading comic books uh, and reading science fiction novels and things like that. Like, that was what I did. Uh, that was what I did for fun, really. Uh, mm -hmm. And it wasn't really until I got to work on Cloak and Dagger that I got to really marry those two things together. Mm, very cool. Well, we'll talk about um, sort of when you landed in L.A. Mm -hmm. um, had you written any television or film scripts at that point? Nope. I... So what were your expectations like when you when you got here? Um, what what were you looking for? I don't know. I didn't really have any expectations in a way. Like I was like, I'm gonna try this. But um, it's funny. Over the last few days, I've had different occasions to tell the story, and I always mm -hmm. have to preface it with, "Don't do this at home." Uh, <laughs> this was a terrible set of decisions that I'm very lucky worked out. Because you're right. I didn't have any film or TV scripts. I didn't have an agent. Didn't have a manager, didn't have a job or a place to live in mm -hmm. L.A., which was a city I had never been to, uh, and still packed up all of my stuff, <laughs> sold everything I owned, and moved to Los Angeles. It was, it was not the wisest thing, but, um, but when I got here, it was really just, let me find out what this is about. You know, mm -hmm. the first few months that I was here was, one, getting my, like, L.A. legs and my bearings in this town. Um, but the other part of it was reaching out to all the playwrights that I had known in New York who'd made the, the move out to L.A. and the move into TV or film writing and asking them how they broke in and what their experience was. And they were all incredibly kind and generous. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, my friend Ross Maxwell um, spent a lot of time talking to me about it and was really, really had really great and insightful thoughts that like helped me as well. Steve Harper, uh, was mm -hmm. another person that I met at that time, uh, and gave me a lot of really, really good advice and really good perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started to figure it out a little bit. Um, in that time, like I started to follow people like Carol Kirshner, uh, mm -hmm. and get to know her work, um, and her point of view, um, and just tried to figure out, like, okay, let me write something. And so I started writing TV scripts uh, around then, uh, mm -hmm. my first few attempts at uh, pilots and specs. And they were awkward, but there's some things <laughs> I still love. So, you know, I think it all, it all went into the hopper of, like, learning how to do this. Hmm. I've heard a lot of people say that you, until your 10th script, you haven't really gotten your legs yet. 
It's it's pretty true. It's pretty true. It takes a very long time for you to really, really, really get it. And and I'm not even really there, to be honest. Um, I'm still there's still stuff that I'm learning and there's still stuff that I'm figuring out um, and still sort of trying, trying out things. I'll be like, OK, let me let me try this. And it took honestly the thing that took me the longest. The part mm. that takes the longest for me is the part that's about trusting myself. And so, you know, coming into this, uh, I knew TV was about structure and it was about format and all of those things. And so I was really, really dedicated to making outlines and treatments and really, really, really fiddling and knowing the structure before sitting down to actually write dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the thing I, I did also learn on shows. So I learned, like, outline the way I do the way you do on a TV show or on staff. Uh, and this summer was the first time I was like, you know what? I think I know the structure well enough that I can wing it. Um, mm -hmm. I have not actually done it yet, but I yeah. feel like I feel like I know what I'm doing enough that I'm just like I'm just gonna have an idea and I'm just gonna start writing and see what happens. Um, yeah. But it took it took all of this time to get to that place. Right. Right. And so so now you're writing this way. Um, what happened? How did that transition to your first staff gig? Uh, the transition was a little funky, as they all are. Uh, I will, as I often do, quote, you know, Mark Bernardin, uh, the great comic book and TV writer as well, uh, who says that, you know, breaking in, he usually is talking about comics, but breaking into TV is like breaking out of jail. You <laughs> figure out your own way, and once you do it, they kind of close the hole up after you. Yeah. So I came in um, through the Humanitas, which is still out there. This mm -hmm. Humanitas New Voices Fellowship um, yeah. was ultimately the thing that helped me break in. But the path to that was very strange and full of a lot of uh, just luck more than anything mm -hmm. else. Getting good reads in some contests that I didn't win, but made some friends and fans who like helped me and supported me and wound up putting me up for the Humanitas and then helped me when I finished go out for my first staffing season. Uh, mm. and helped me get staffed on Pitch, which is the first show that I worked on, uh, on Fox in 2016. Very uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. But because I didn't go the assistant route, um, and so I went sort of the fellowships and uh, contest route in my way into the to a writer's room, the first day I ever set foot in a TV writer's room was my first day of work on Pitch. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So, so fish out of water. How, how did that go? Yes. It went well. So it went well. I mean, maybe not necessarily the first day. Um, I had give, been given enough sort of training. I'd been able to speak to people like Glenn Mazzara and Carol and other people who understood the world and uh, that I felt like I was sort of prepared. But it was it was mind blowing. My head spinning. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm suddenly in a room with Emmy winners and some of the best writers I've ever seen and people that are, you know, heroes of mine. Uh, are just sitting in the room with me talking and it was it was amazing it was really everyone was really kind and really generous i was very 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 lucky to have mm. that as my first room experience you know yeah. um a lot of people get caught in those rooms that are very toxic that are very competitive um that are really dysfunctional and this was really not that it was the opposite of all of those things we mm. all liked each other we all worked together pr really well uh, and it was a, it was really, I mean, a lot of film school for me, you know, I'm mm. sitting there with Kevin Falls, uh, listening to him break story 
with, you know, uh, Dan Fogelman and Rick Singer. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm learning how to do this here, you know, sitting, uh, with some of the greats. And that was really, really good. That was a good, good intro into it. Well, just to rewind a a little, I think it's a a great point to make that I don't hear a lot of people making that, um, winning a script contest is not necessarily the only goal. No, Um, no, can can you just talk to that just a little? Yeah, yeah. So what what happened for me and what I learned from it was, you know, there were a couple of contests, uh, in particular the Page uh, Awards, uh, as well as the ScreenCraft, one of the ScreenCraft TV Writing Fellowships, that I did not win. I was a mm-hmm. finalist for both of those things. But at the finalist round, the readers were agents and managers, like the young, the hungry agents and managers. And so off of both of those, I had an agent and a manager reach out to me to say, hey, I read your script. Even though it didn't win, I really liked it, and I'd like to keep in mm. touch and work with you. And that's basically how I met my first representation, uh, and it was great. And so that is, uh, I yeah, always wiggle room a little bit because it, it already feels that like 2015 was a billion years ago. Mm-hmm. But that was that's always my advice: is that yeah, you want to write a script, and getting into it, winning it isn't the only thing. Get, being a finalist is can also be really good for you. And just very, very good onto point. the radar. Yeah, very good point. And that, um, just so I understand, I haven't heard as much about the Humanitas. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not the type of fellowship that will pay half of your salary when you no. go on staff or anything like that. So what no. do they do? Like, what? Uh, how does that help? The Oh, it was great. It was really, it was great, both sort of accidentally, as a lot of things are, and on purpose. So the, the way it worked when I did it, I know that there's been some change over there, so I'm not entirely sure how it functions now, is one, it comes with a cash prize of mm. like 25 grand, which That's basically helpful. paid for me to not have a job for about half a year, six months, to really focus. Uh, they hook you up with a mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. an established TV writer. I was paired with Rashad Rasani, uh, mm-hmm. and that the mentor works with you on creating a new pilot uh, and sort of putting you through your paces and giving you notes and feedback and answering any questions or whatever uh, that you have. And then, you know, the Humanitas is obviously a well-respected organization with deep connections and roots into the community. So they they're they do try to use that to help open doors. Um, but it is not, unfortunately, as easy, uh, not easy, but it's not as direct as, you know, one of the studio fellowships where the, the studios are incentivized to get you a job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this one, uh, is not like that, which is, you know, a thing that happens. Yeah. So you're, you're on pitch. Yep. You've got an agent, you've got a manager, you're learning. Yep. Um, how, how long were you on that show? Uh, we were, I was there for a little over 20 weeks. We only did mm-hmm. one season, 10 glorious episodes. Yeah. Uh, and then there was some corporate shenanigans that, uh, cut us short, uh, which is a shame. We all still really love it. And honestly, like the studio and network still really loved it. Dan really loved it. I remember a couple years ago, there was like the rumor mill was going around as Dan's, uh, overall the 20th was up. And mm-hmm. one of the things they were dangling in front of them was that he'd get to reboot pitch. And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's great. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was in that room. Uh, I didn't get a script cause we were very EP heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of for reasons joined late in the season, um, or later than everyone else, but mm-hmm. it was great. It was a really great experience. And then I hit my first not having a job time and that was yeah. less fun. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, talk, talk about that. Um, so, 
How long was that? What did you do in that time? Um, did you take a lot of meetings, do a lot of writing? I took some meetings. Um, I did some writing. Uh, I also took other jobs, you know, for mm-hmm. a, a little bit in there, like re- real weird random jobs. Uh, I was a, a test proctor at a nursing school in the valley for a, a couple of months. Um, and I'd had some savings from the gig, but you should always have more. Um, mm-hmm. And it was I was out of work for about four months, mm-hmm. all told, three or four months, or more like four or five. So from like right around Thanksgiving till about April the next year mm-hmm. when I got my next gig. Um, and it was, it was scary, you know, yeah. even as prepared as I thought I was, it was, it was really, really scary, uh, mm. and really difficult. Um, and yeah, not fun. I, yeah. I wish I had prepared myself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And how, how many scripts did you have in your portfolio at that time? At that time, I still really only had like one or two that were mm-hmm. in a shape to get sent out. Um, but the, I had switched agents at that point and my new agents and manager, um, were sending out plays of mine and they were getting Mm. really good responses from that. So ironically, like plays that I'd written in New York a decade, almost a decade before that, uh, had never gotten produced were getting me work and continued to get me work pretty much for the next like two years. Wow. Almost every gig that I've gotten, I got off one of those plays. Wow. And so, so Cloak and Dagger, talk about that. Um, yep. I mean, Marvel, big show. Yep. Um, at, talk about sort of what the interview was like, how, how you were, um, I mean, did your, your agent set you up with that? Um, yep. And talk yep. about that my process. My agent set me up with that. I'd been very clear, uh, my agents and managers, I'd been very clear with them that uh, I wanted to get into genre TV. That's where my heart was. I wanted to be doing sci-fi and fantasy stuff and comic book stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was sort of the first thing that came along. Um, and this was, you know, old Marvel TV, which is, I'm sure in these ways, still very much like current Marvel TV, which is, you know, the first NDA that I had mm-hmm. to have, had to sign for a general. Oh. Um went in for my meeting with them and my reps have really prepped me like they're staffing cloak and dagger. That's what they're really, that's what they're reading. That's what they want to meet you about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I go into this meeting and they literally never brought up the name. They would not tell me what they were working on. It was, you know, full cone of silence. (laughs) It was like the CIA, Uh, but it was a a dream. It was a dream. They were all wonderful. Uh, Mm. And so I was really, really glad that I got the gig um, after meeting with Joe uh, Pekaski, the showrunner, uh, his take on the material, on the characters, who I grew up with. I was like, mm-hmm. Cloak and Dagger started when I was very, well, not very young, but I was really active. That was sort of the height of my superhero comics, grown to the, the newsstand to buy comic books every week uh, mm-hmm. kind of time. And so I had that connection and that deep love of them. And then Joe's take was so different and so great, but so true to who they were that mm. it was really exciting. It was that was a that was a great also a great room. I've I've been really lucky and blessed and have largely had very good rooms, highly functional rooms, no bosses who threw anything at my head, mm-hmm. no bosses who made me feel terrible. It's been I've, it's been really great. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And your first produced scripts on that show that's right that's right uh co-written with the great and amazing jenny klein uh mm-hmm. and that was it was a dream it was just a dream to to write that script i'm still really proud of it it, mm-hmm. it meant a lot to me to see that on the air it meant a lot to my family it it was a really great and the room was just was just wonderful like mm-hmm. 
wonderful writers, smart people. That's where I met the uh, amazing Nicole Levy. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, who's, yeah, just a goddess on earth. And uh, got to, like, work with some people that I really care about. And it's been, mm. it's, it was a really, really good group. Very cool. And did they shoot in L.A.? Nope, shot in New Orleans. Oh, New Orleans. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. On location in New Orleans, uh, which was a bummer I didn't get to go um, mm. for either of the two seasons I was on there just because of timing. But we'll say lovey. Also, yeah. that's how it is now. Yeah. But that must have been a great education. Two seasons. Yeah. I, I, I know that experience um, as, a, as an editor. Mm-hmm. When you get to go a, even just a second season on the show, it's a yeah. completely different feel. Yes, 100%. You know what the show is. You know what the characters are. You really get to like push the boundaries and the limits in interesting ways, tell different kinds of stories. I feel like our second season, the show was always really ambitious. Joe had a, a big vision for it. Uh, and a very, very sort of all-encompassing vision. I feel like we mm-hmm. all brought things to the table that were wound up being really important and really central to the show. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the second season, we pushed it even further. And like the show got really weird in some ways, and like in really great and brilliant ways. Um, mm. I, I I miss that show, and I miss that room. Yeah, very very cool. And so. Uh, from Cloak and Dagger to Jessica Jones. Yes. Um, talk about that transition. So Cloak and Dagger ended. Did you go straight to Jessica or, or was there a downtime much. in between? Pretty much. Uh, I got, uh, this was like the busiest time uh, of my career, at least thus far. Because uh, I was on Cloak and Dagger. Uh, so started around April and did the full 20 weeks. I think they extended us once or twice or something like that. Uh, wrapped up in early September and then moved on to Jessica Jones that fall and like you know coming off of Cloak and Dagger I'd had a good season I was feeling really good about it I had a few staffing meetings right off of it that did not go well so I was a little bummed um but the good thing was you know the Marvel execs had remembered me and liked me and Jenny who had worked on the second season of uh Jessica Jones gave me a a stunning recommendation to Melissa Rosenberg Mm. so I met with her she liked me uh, and I started working there right around Thanksgiving of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was so different. It's such a different mm-hmm. show and such a different yeah. um, such a different vibe and style. And like Melissa is a very different kind of boss than Joe was, you know, mm-hmm. um, in Joe's room, you know, on Cloak and Dagger, we were, you know, sat at a table with whiteboards and all of that. And Melissa was like, nope, couches. All couches, <laughs> all the time. I, um, I know, I know, uh, showrunners like that who who don't even have a desk anywhere in the office. Yeah, yeah, it was great, and it was really, it was yeah. again another great group, really smart people. Yeah. Um, and so I worked on that, and then, uh, luckily, not luckily enough, uh, you know, Cloak and Dagger had been renewed for its second season, so I actually went right from Jessica Jones the next spring right back to Cloak and Dagger. Oh, um, I see. So you, so they were like it was a zipper. Like, the, yeah. It was between the first and second season. So we did season one of Cloak mm-hmm. and Dagger. I worked on Jessica Jones in the, in that interim and mm-hmm. then went literally, I was actually, Joe still makes fun of me for it. I was like two <laughs> days late to the Cloak and Dagger season two room because wow. I had to finish my time on Jessica Jones. Uh, but then, yeah, just went rolled right on. So for, you know, the better part of that year, I was steadily unemployed and it was was a lot of gear shifting and a lot of like 
brain shifting, but it was great. It was really, mm-hmm. really fun. I was really very happy. cool. Very, very cool. And and now were you you were on Jessica at the time that all the Netflix Marvel shows just went kaput? Yep. yep. All the corporate oh, shenanigans. What a sad day. What a sad day. Uh, it, was, it was brutal. It was really, it was really, really rough. Mm. Um, I can't, I can never remember if I'm, I, I guess at this point it doesn't matter. Uh, but I was, uh, I went from Jessica Jones actually to what would have been Daredevil season four. Mm. Oh. And we were in the room for about two months before it all came down. Oh my goodness! And, and we're, we're was... in, in our home, we're huge Daredevil fans, and oh, wow, that was a that was a heartbreak. That was a real because yeah. we had we just planned out the season. We were really excited. We were literally the day that it happened, about to break that first episode of the season and like really get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the the thing that one. Even though no one got fired, it still felt like we all got fired. Mm. Um, and like the thing that's most frustrating about it is that it had, you know, has nothing to do with quality. It had nothing to do with ratings or anything like that. It was just pure corporate shenanigans, you know. Mm. Um, and that's frustrating. That's still frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. There's so much bad TV that's being made and be and made more of. Yeah. And really, really good TV, just stuff like that. Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, listen, it's hard. Any, I, if you get a TV show on the air, you have, you've pulled off a miracle. If you mm. get a TV show on the air for more than two seasons, especially in this environment, you've pulled off 10,000 miracles. Like, mm-hmm. no, I know no one sets out to make bad TV, and there's all sorts of things. Everyone's taste is different. Everything is different. Um, and it's hard. It's always, it is always going to be hard. It is a, a very steep hill to climb up. Um, so, you know, my hat's off to anyone who makes it, but yeah, it's it, with 50, whatever, 500 scripted TV shows and, you know, the plethora of outlets that we have, uh, it's still frustrating that there still somehow isn't room for literally everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, that sad day happens. Um, yep. How did you go from that to Supergirl? Uh, Supergirl came uh, a few months later. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we, uh, I was unemployed in December. Uh, and then around March the next year, I met on Supergirl. And it came in a couple of different ways. One, in the very classic uh, TV writer way, a woman mm-hmm. that I had been with, uh, not been with, but uh, worked with on Daredevil, had mm-hmm. gotten hired on Supergirl, and when they were hiring for their fifth season, they were looking for a writer like me, and uh, she recommended me, and so mm-hmm. uh, I it, they, I got read. But I had also met uh, Jessica Queller like socially a few years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had friends from New York in common, so we were both sort of like in each other's radar. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of a personal connection there as well. Uh, and that was just a blast, like, mm. uh, uh, so different, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. moving from, you know, cloak and dagger where the last season where we were really delving into sex trafficking and uh-huh. urban misery and all of this, uh, to TV Supergirl and yeah. hope, uh, help and, uh, uh, empathy for everyone, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's such a, it was such a beautiful, sweet a uh, good-hearted show that mm-hmm. it was it was really great and plus getting to play with the superman mythos 
which is mm. so epic and so fascinating. Uh, that was also really great. You know, there's, there always comes, I don't know, for me, there's, there's always a time when you really recognize what you do for a living. And it's like, you know, when I'm sitting in this, in a writer's room and we're on our like second hour of discussing which kryptonite we need, <laughs> it's, it's the best. It's yeah. the absolute best. Yeah. Very cool. And CW is a great, or at least has been a great nurturing ground. Yes. Um, so you were on that three seasons? Two seasons, the final two, two seasons. Final two. Um, and exactly that. Like, that was the first place I got to go produce. Um, and, like, also for me, moving from cable and streaming uh, and that sort of pace, 10 episodes, breaking 10 episodes over 20 weeks, uh, and then, you know, shooting happens completely separately. Uh, so I didn't even get to go to set on any of mm. these shows. To go from that and then... <laughs> And then not on top of on top of that, not only did I not get to go to set on any of these shows, I had no idea when they were gonna air, if they mm. were ever gonna air. No one, it was it was gonna be three years before we saw any of these things. Wow. Uh, and it's like, okay, here we go. To then go to Supergirl, start work in March, mm-hmm. write my first episode for the show in like June, and be on set by july and then that episode airs in september it was like this is and by the time that episode had aired i'd written two more and gone to set twice more like it was it was just wild it was like the pace is so different it's so accelerated and Mm -hmm. exhilarating and there's a lot of it that really is just like literal runaway train and all you're trying to do is hang on to it you know Mm. very good training very good training like to be honest, and it's such a shame that we're in the place that we're in for all of the reasons that we're in this place that we're in. But to me, I didn't really feel like I knew how to write TV until I was on set, until mm-hmm. I really understood what it means to shoot an episode of television, what is mm-hmm. required, what the, the the set people need to know, what the lighting people need to know, what all of those elements, how all those elements come together, as well as the stuff about what costs money. And how to save money and how to make something producible. You know, it was such a such an important lesson. And it's a shame that more that fewer and fewer writers are getting it now. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it there was news recently that for the first time ever, um, there were more people watching streaming than um, Mm. broadcasting cable. Wow. And you know that that's not going backwards. Yeah. And yeah. you know that a lot of broadcast and cable is sports yes. and news. So yes. obviously streaming is really winning this battle. Yes. And I, I know that there are showrunners who are, are sort of fighting to, to get their writers on set and, and things like yeah. that. But they're a, a very small minority. It's hard. It's a hard yeah. battle to fight. Though it'll be yeah. interesting, you know, because while people are watching streaming, streaming is not paying for itself. They're all running, all the streaming services are running these massive deficits, and it feels like within two or three years, they're all going to have an ad-supported version of it, which will basically be cable TV again. Mm. And it's like, we are, we'll, we'll have come all the way around. We destroyed cable and TV. And we'll be paying more for it. Exactly. To rebuild it, but scattered. It's yeah. it's We're in a strange time. It's going to be a very strange couple of years. Yeah, very strange. Um, so, but you got to go on Supergirl yep. until the end. Um, two seasons yep. that is two fantastic. Seasons. Lots of time on set. Lots of episodes yep. written. 
produced. And, uh, and yep. so then how did you go from that to Handmaid's Tale? Uh, I wish there was a better story other than my agents called me up and said I had a meeting. Like there's, <laughs> there was no personal connection. Yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar. You know, I, I had just come off of two years on Supergirl, one of which was the pandemic year. I was tired. Everyone was tired. Uh, I was really, really beat. And I really thought like, well, I'll take some time. I'll take some time, maybe do some development, maybe work on some other stuff on my own and just like coast for a little while. Uh, but then this opportunity came up and there was no way I was going to say no. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I jumped on board the Handmaid's Tale and it has been also like, again, I'm super blessed and lucky to have uh, a really great boss uh, like Bruce Miller and unbelievable mm. colleagues uh, and to work with maybe the best cast uh, of any show right working right now. Like the, wow. it's just, bangers top to bottom uh on that cast and like elizabeth moss lizzie moss is just uh a powerhouse and a force and it's mm. it's great to be uh in her orbit and watch her work it's really it's been really really illuminating very very cool uh, we're going to take a quick sponsor break and then we'll be back to talk more about the nitty-gritty of writing and tips 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 DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with over 100 new cities from the U.S. and Canada coming in 2023. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. AVGearGuy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series, Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit AVGearGuy.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person videos to you. And we're back. And what I would love to hear about is sort of um, your writing habit when you are not on a show or maybe you are and you're, you're developing on the side. Um, mm -hmm. Also your comic books. What, what's your schedule like? Um, my schedule, I tend to be a writer who likes to punch a clock. So mm -hmm. honestly, even when I am in a room or not in a room, I generally try to be working on whatever I need to work on by about 10 a.m., and usually knock off from work around four or five. Um, and just say, for me, what keeps me on schedule is setting deadlines uh, or goals for the day. Just to say, mm -hmm. all, all I need to chop off today is I need to write act one of this outline, or I need to write this part of this script, or you know, with some of the, the comic book stuff, I need to write this script today. Because uh, mm -hmm. it helps to have deadlines, and those have lots of deadlines. Um, but it's just sort of sliding it all together. Uh, I like just the regularity of every day I get up and I work on something. There's always mm. something to work on. Uh, and that's what I do sort of in the middle of my day. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when, when I'm in a room, obviously there's, you do a little more during the morning, maybe a little at lunch. Um, so a, bat, a bit at the uh, after the day, but I tend to not be a very good night writer. My mm. brain is usually really fried. I prefer early writing. Um, yep. So if I have to get a lot done, I'll just wake up very early and try to do it. Mm -hmm. And what kind of things do you like to develop? 
Oh, God. Uh, right now, I'm sort of developing kind of a little bit of everything. There's always mm -hmm. a feature idea or two rolling around in my head. Uh, I haven't really broken in on those. Um, there's always a bunch of TV ideas. I keep a, a running file in my uh, Google Keep uh, mm -hmm. notepad of just sort of like, here's a quick log line, here's a quick idea, here's a quick setting or whatever. Um, as well as comics. Um, right now, you know, I'm on hiatus from uh, Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I don't uh, for at least another couple of weeks. And so, in the interim, I've been able to work on some comic books, writing some comics mm -hmm. for Marvel, uh, trying to pitch some of my own uh, comic books, and then also trying to get into the development game uh, as well. So it's it's even though I haven't had a job. Uh, for about six months, it, it's still been a very, very busy time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, have you ever produced, like, fully produced your own comic? No. No, I've never fully produced my own comic. Uh, that's sort of the next rung that I'm trying to get to. Mm -hmm. um, so right now I'm mostly just playing in other people's sandboxes mm -hmm. uh, while I pitch my own original stuff uh, and hoping to find, like, a good partner to work with on it. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and so you've you've had a honestly a fairly quick uh, path up to yes. now. Um, I mean, to, you you said you started all this what seven years ago? Uh, I moved to LA ten years ago, and I got my first gig in twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Wow, wow, yeah. wow, wow. Um, so so you you actually um, your beginning experience was fairly fresh. Yeah. Um, what what kind of tips can you give um, new and emerging writers, sort of maybe just on staff or or mm -hmm. that sort of um, emerging level in terms of um, in today's market, right? Writing a script that will get noticed and and getting into rooms. Um, mm -hmm. Where where can somebody get started with that? I I mean, writing a script that gets noticed. My advice is always kind of the same, which is write the thing that scares you. Mm. Write the thing that means something to you. Uh, in your early stuff, don't worry too, too much about structure, I would say. Worry, like, focus on voice. Focus on mm -hmm. idea. Focus on, on emotion, on the emotional journey of your characters and the emotional journey you want to take the audience on. Like, really foreground that. Uh, mm. A lot of scripts that I read from from um, newer writers uh, tends to be newer TV writers tend to uh, lean too far into like the world building and the rules of a world, particularly in genre spaces. And there's mm. a, can be a lot of jargon or just a lot of very complicated plot machinations that mm. need to be explained. I'm like strip as much of that away as you can because all of that is the stuff that takes time to get to know really well. So if mm. you're trying to break in, just write. Write in some way the truest thing that you can write, uh, mm -hmm. and really, really focus on like getting down to that truth. Um, and once you once you sort of broken in and are, are in your early staff points uh, places, my biggest advice is really just be a good employee. Mm -hmm. You know, just remember that this is a job, uh, and the showrunner is your boss. Uh, and as much as we, as collaborative as it is, and as much as we like to think about that's about art, and that you're hired for your individual uniqueness, and you gotta let it fly, like, it's a job. Mm -hmm. And the showrunner needs certain literal things from you, which is generally for you to show up, 
for you to be present, for you to help move the ball forward, mm -hmm. and ultimately for you to write a script that they can use. Mm -hmm. uh, and if there's anything that I think I can attribute my sort of rise or continued success is that I really, really try to be a genuinely good employee, you mm -hmm. know, um, and that's sort of first and foremost, uh, that I just come to each job like, okay, what, what does my boss need for me to do? And like, there's obviously, obviously there's a little bit of, uh, um, not exactly picking your battles really ultimately. Mm -hmm. Like there's a little bit of managing yourself in this relationship. You know, I'm a died in the wool from the womb union member and progressive. Uh, I don't like capitalism. I don't like capitalist structures. They're crap and annoying and lies. But that's these are the rules of the game. So you got to sort of figure that out, you know, mm -hmm. um, and figure out what you're bringing to the table that someone else isn't mm -hmm. uh, uh, in terms of life experience, in terms of voice, in terms of what you do in a room, uh, figuring that out and honing it. And then also working on the things that you don't do as well. You mm -hmm. know, the first, my first couple of rooms, I genuinely treated as more as learning experiences than anything else. Um, again, being a good employee, showing up first, staying late, doing whatever anyone needed. Uh, but there was also just a lot of listening. Mm. Uh, I know the, uh, old advice that, you know, the, the staff writer should be silent, should be seen and not heard, uh, mm -hmm. often comes from a, like, comes from a bad place and it comes from a place of, um, you don't know what you're doing and it's, mm. it, it has this negative connotation, but I, I took it like, I'm not just sitting here being silent to be silent. My job is to listen mm. because I'm not going to break story as well as Kevin Falls. He's going to break story very well. So I need to listen to how he does it and how he mm. talks about it and to listen to how he talks to other people about it and what those processes are. Um, I, yeah, I built a, a remarkably Baroque sort of list for myself in that first room where, you know, the first few days, like the first couple of weeks I said, nothing hmm. nothing about the show like when we we're talking about each other joking laughing around i i'm a human being i participated but when it came to any conversation about the show i said literally nothing hmm. and then the the after i felt more comfortable and had listened and sort of gotten what the conversations were got a sense of what kevin was interested in what rick the co-creator was interested in where the room was going then the next week i was like okay you can say one thing about the show every day. And if it's stupid, you said a stupid <laughs> thing. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to make up for it. And even if it's smart, even if it's the best idea, don't, don't try to build on it. Just to say one thing and see how that mm -hmm. feels, see how, it, how people respond. Uh, and then once I felt comfortable with that, the next part was, okay, now you can talk until you say something stupid. <laughs> you pick something that fails until something goes wrong and then you shut up uh -huh. if it's the first thing too bad if it's the last thing you say fine but you shut up because yeah. i mean one of the like one of the old school pieces of advice and it is really true and it is really mm -hmm. frustrating is when you're in a room with someone who won't let an idea go mm. it just slows everything down and frustrates everyone and it kills the creative process Mm -hmm. You know, because that is it. 
the idea is that you've got 10 minds working on a problem, but if one of those minds is not, one of those minds is focused on something completely different, it just breaks the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was very, very conscious of not being that person. Um, right. And I think that that also helped. And not taking it, the other part of all this is don't take it personally. That's the other mm-hmm. reason I'm like, you're an employee. It's a job. Don't yeah. take it personally. Most of it is not meant personally. And even if it is, chances are it's nothing about you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not an issue that you have that, that you created. I mean, sometimes it is. I've worked with some people who've created many issues. But mm-hmm. like generally, in my experience, it's someone else is having a reaction to something and you don't have to take it personal. Mm-hmm. Talk about Zoom rooms. Um, how, how are they different? Strengths? Weaknesses, um, things you miss about uh, being together and things you don't. All right. I'll start with the strengths because I prefer to start with the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You cannot beat the commute. <laughs> yeah. It's, it really is. It is, I think, actually really meaningful that, like, I I don't have to travel somewhere. I don't have to travel home. Um, I get a lot more done in my day. Um, all of that. Uh, you don't have to stay in L.A., which is mm-hmm. great. I've worked with writers who were traveling. I've worked with writers who were in New York or Ohio. It's been work with collaborators. It's great to not have, not to be tied to LA. And the other thing that comes with that is that the, the somewhat transitory nature of it also allows you to live more of a life. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's an understanding that you have, it's a clearer understanding that you have a life. So if I can travel, I can still participate in work, at least mm-hmm. for part of the day. You know, in the uh, the sort of before times, you worked 20 weeks straight unless you mm-hmm. had like a very ironclad commitment that you could not get out of. Um, you had to be to work. We don't get vacation days. We don't get that time off. Um, mm-hmm. And now people can. Now, it's, now you can go on vacation or spend more time with your family or your friends and still also be available to work. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um there's another thing that I really liked about it in terms of the, the creation. Uh, I've lost it. I talked too much. Um, but in terms of the negatives, all the things that you know, it's a, a platform designed really for one person to talk and a bunch of people to listen. So mm-hmm. it's easy for people to dominate. It's hard to get the rhythm really going because the internet falls out or two people are talking at the same time and it's much harder to purse it on screen than it is in person Mm -hmm. and it's harder to like break in once people it's all of that is really true and all the stuff that you i miss about being in person uh the little conversations you have at lunch or Mm -hmm. getting snacks or the snack breaks um or at the beginning of work and at the end of work um all of catered lunches (laughs) well one the catered lunches but like it was having started uh like I, we, I did the first season of uh, Supergirl in person. The mm-hmm. second season, we were in on Zoom, and we had new people come in, and it's so much harder to get to know them, so much harder mm-hmm. for them to get to know you, because it's all like you have to make that effort. Mm-hmm. It isn't like, oh, hey, it's the end of the day. I'm going to meet a friend of mine for dinner two blocks from here, but I've got mm-hmm. half an hour. You're still in your office. Let's just sit and chat. You know, There's none of that. 
it would have to be let me call you or let me email you let's make an appointment it's just more awkward less organic Mm. um and a little bit harder to maintain the continuity of thought um Mm. i find oh the other thing that i do like about it is that the days are shorter Mm -hmm. because it's so much harder to be on zoom um we were always i always felt like we were much more focused in mm. a lot of ways uh and were able to achieve a lot more in shorter time um because there are also different less distractions but mm. first yeah it's all pros and cons i'm hoping to be back in in person rooms to be honest uh yeah. i do really miss it yeah yeah very cool so do you still write plays on occasion yeah yeah uh, i am to be honest, in a bit of an existential crisis with plays right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have previously, I stopped writing plays for a long time. uh, And then a couple of years back, uh, Christine Boylan, who I worked with on Cloak and Dagger, uh, started a theater company uh, with another producer writer, Ellie Pyle. And I joined that and I wrote some new plays. And now I'm trying to decide uh, in everything else that I'm doing, is there room for this thing? But I still... Mm -hmm. Love theater. Uh, I'm still involved in it in other ways. I uh, became a board member uh, for a couple of theater organizations, the Ojai Playwrights Conference and the Mm -hmm. 24-Hour Plays based out of New York. Uh, And I'm liking being able to support the work in that way. And that's Mm -hmm. really cool for me. That's meaningful. Very cool. So what, um, what tips do you have for people just starting out? So say somebody is in Ohio or (laughs) wherever, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, and and says, I really would love to write television. What would you say in today's landscape would Ooh. would be best for them? Yikes. Uh, that's a tough one because, again, it was only six years ago, and I feel like all of the things that I knew about breaking in six years ago are completely invalid. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I guess is still the same is like, especially if you're in somewhere like Ohio, um, which is a lovely place to be or anywhere that's not LA, uh, it, it's to look at the contest, look at the fellowships, um, strengthen those scripts always, no matter what, write stronger scripts, like write a mm-hmm. lot of scripts, push yourself, really, really push yourself to do better, um, uh, and to write more deeply, uh, so that the scripts stand out. Cause I do still firmly believe that uh, a good script is going to find something, is going to find mm. a, is going to find a place, is going to open a door for you. Um, it's just that there are so many more people writing um, that it's a little bit harder to to make that noise and to do that leap. Um, so I would say that the other thing, the more general advice, um, and the thing that I think also helps me is build a plan. Build a real clear, concrete plan uh, for what works for you, what works for your life, um, what works for your skill sets and your existence, and stick to it. Uh, To be honest, there are a lot of writers that I know and love and were great writers uh, who were trying to break in around the same time I did. Uh, And I will say that I think a lot of them would try something different every time something didn't work. You know, if they didn't do well in in a contest, they would try to be an assistant. If they didn't get that, they would try to write a novel. They they do other things, right? Um, and I think sticking to it, because this so much of this work is cumulative and additive and building upon itself. That the more that you stick to it, the better the better in the end it'll be. It'll just be 
it can just be harder. You mm. know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I applied to UCLA and USC. Mm-hmm. Actually, both, both times when I applied to undergraduate and when I applied to graduate, yeah. I got rejected by arguably the, the worst school and accepted <laughs> by the better school. And if I had stopped at the rejection, mm-hmm. I would never have gone on to the, the other one. Yep, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So def- definitely, definitely good, good tips. Stick at it. Um, are there any current books or resources that were helpful to you or that you would recommend? Uh, I cannot recommend Nicole's book highly enough, The Writer's mm-hmm. Room. Uh, she is an encyclopedia of TV. She loves TV. She loves TV writing. And that book is just chock full of good tips, good stories, great ideas. Like, mm. definitely that's, I would say that that is like already the like required reading to get into yeah. it. It's like a reference book. Yeah. 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 Uh, any, any other resources that were helpful to you? Um, you mentioned Carol Kirshner. Carol Kirshner, her book as well, um, and Carol Kirshner is great. Uh, if they reopen the Writers Guild Library, that's always wonderful to. Go I think it's get, it's open now. It's I open think, now. Great. I uh, think then, so. Yeah, I think go so. there, read scripts, yeah. uh, and hang around there. That's that's always good. Um, sadly, Twitter is seemingly circling the drain. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of good. I had a lot of good times and a lot of good experiences with writer Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. It can be a mixed bag, but that that can be a good place to get started. Um, so if something comes up to replace Twitter, try that. Um, and those are those are the big things, you know. But mm-hmm. mostly, it really is just write your script, write it as hard and, and as good as you can, uh, and find ways to get it out into the world. Yeah, very very cool. And uh, knowing what you know now, is there anything mm-hmm. you might have done differently? Ooh. Saved so much more money at literally <laughs> every point in my life. So yeah. much more money. Um, and the other thing, I've thought about this a lot. I just would have done it earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm glad that I came when I came. And I think there's a lot of, you know, global things that really helped it. But I also wish that I had just, it was something that I wanted to do that I didn't really feel comfortable or confident to do, doing. Uh, and I wish that I'd, I'd had that confidence to pull the trigger a lot earlier. Hmm. Very cool. Well, you finally did, and it's gone, sounds like, really well. Yeah, yeah, pretty well. So far, so good. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, we're going to start to wrap things up here, unless there's anything else that you'd want to nope. uh, bring up. Um, social media handles, uh, where do you, where's your jam? Uh, at this point, it's just Instagram, at jholtham, um, mm-hmm. so you can find me there. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's kind of it for now. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, Jay, thank you so much for taking this time. Um, you've been extremely, extremely generous and helpful. And uh, all the best of luck to you. You're, you're back on Handmaid's Tale? Uh, yep, yep. Should yep. be back in, in the Handmaid's Tale room in uh, another few weeks. Very, very cool. Well, best of luck uh, to you on that and in your future shows. Thank you. That's it for the episode. You can find us on the web at tvwriterpodcast.com or at scriptmag.com. The video version of this podcast is available at iTunes, Podbean, or YouTube. The audio-only version is available at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. You can find me on Instagram at at TVWriterPodcast. Follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.